On three, has the Texas quarterback room ranked third in the country? Did they get it right? You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are discussing on threes quarterback room rankings for the 2023 season. In terms of the Texas basketball team, there are two transfers visiting Rodney Terry and his staff on the 40 acres this week. Can he bring both of them in? We discussed that. And last but not least, Texas was able to pick up the weekend series win over TCU, but did drop the last game on Monday, 15 to 7 in Tanner Witt's return. We discuss all of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we get into on three's quarterback rankings for the 2023 season, I promised I would give an update on Jaleel Billingsley when I got one. Found out since my last episode that he will be headed to the Tennessee Titans rookie minicamp. So it's good to see uh, Jaleel Billingsley, who didn't have the Texas tenure that he wanted, uh, be able to have a path to continuing uh, his NFL dreams at the next level with the Tennessee Titans. Now let's talk about the on three quarterback rankings for 2023. They ranked each quarterback room, right? or the top 10 quarterback rooms in the country, I should say, for 2023. And I think they're doing each position group so far. I've seen quarterback and running back. And so I would assume wide receiver is next all the way to, I guess, safety or DB, however they do it. But they had Texas ranked number three, right? And this is a top 10, but we'll only focus on the top five because Texas is in the top five, right? So they had USC, number one, LSU, number two, Texas, number three, North Carolina, number four, and Oklahoma, number five. And the question I'm I'm posing or responding to is did they get it right right with Texas at number three are they too high are they too low or are they just right so let's start with USC right and they obviously have Caleb Williams the returning Heisman winner I think the returning unquestioned best quarterback in college football we've seen so many comparisons to Patrick Mahomes from Caleb Williams I've seen people say that Caleb Williams might be a more refined Patrick Mahomes. Now, that may be a little crazy to say when we're watching Patrick Mahomes already with two Super Bowls, multiple MVPs, and I think he's been in the AFC Championship game every year. He's been a starting quarterback, so kind of hard to say somebody in college is more refined than Patrick Mahomes, right? I think we get a little crazy when we start to do the comps, but you can obviously see the Mahomes-level talent when you watch Caleb Williams, and what's scary was he was only a true sophomore last year. There's a chance under Lincoln Riley he can be even better than he was last year. And I think if you take away, you know, maybe one bad performance, you're talking about Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams being in the college football playoff in their first year. And they're probably going to be favored to get there this year. So Caleb Williams has been nothing short of special since he's been in college. We know that firsthand from seeing it in the Red River rivalry when he was at Oklahoma. And then we saw what he did last year at USC winning the Heisman in his first year as a full-time starting quarterback. And I have no doubt in my mind that in his second year under Lincoln Riley system, well, really the third year, right? But the second year at USC, he'll be even better than he was last year. Can't argue with that. But then behind him, they have a lot of talent in that room as well. When you look at Miller Moss, he was the 76th overall recruit and the 12th ranked quarterback in the 2021 class. That class had Caleb Williams and Quinn Ewers at the top. So they were one and two. He was 12th in that class. 
in his career, he has thrown for 233 yards, 20 of 27, and two touchdowns. So when you look at that comparison, obviously Caleb Williams and Quinn Ewers, you can't make that comparison at all. When you look at Miller Moss and Malik Murphy, you could say that Malik Murphy might be better down the road, but in terms of on threes rankings, Malik Murphy has not thrown a collegiate pass, and Miller Moss has thrown 27 of them. So that would go in USC's favor as well, why they're the number one ranked room in the country and then Malachi Nelson is your third string quarterback right right where you have a embarrassment of riches similar to Arch Manning being our third string quarterback right so Malachi Nelson ended up as the 12th overall prospect in 2023 the fifth ranked quarterback behind Jackson Arnold Dante Moore Arch and then Nico um, that went to Tennessee but for the majority of the season I think before he got hurt and kind of missed his last four or five games he was right in that running with Nico and Arch as the number one quarterback in the class so that's a really talented room from top to bottom when Malachi Nelson is your third string quarterback that's an embarrassment of riches a really good problem to have now the LSU one gets interesting right because obviously Jaden Daniels has the experience edge over Quinn Ewers, right? You're talking about 43 collegiate starts to 10 collegiate starts. But in my opinion, Quinn Ewers is better than Jaden Daniels right now, right? I know that Jaden Daniels gives you the dual threat ability. And in his career, he has over 2,000 rushing yards, 73 total touchdowns, 9,000 passing yards, right? So he has over 10,000 scrimmage yards with 73 touchdowns and 43 starts. I get that. But to me, it comes down to the eye test. And every time I've watched Jaden Daniels, I've been underwhelmed. Right. And of course, Quinn Ewers didn't have the best year last year, but he was essentially a true freshman. If you asked me who I was taking going into this season right now, I would take Quinn Ewers over Jaden Daniels. Now, Jaden Daniels did have the big win over Alabama last year, did take his team to the SEC championship game last year. Right. So those are big accomplishments. Obviously, like I said, he has the career edge in terms of starts and production over Quinn Ewers. But I just happen to think that Quinn Ewers is the better quarterback than Jaden Daniels. But I do think that on three got it right in terms of this room being better than Texas's room right now because Garrett Nussmeyer is the backup. And he was the 84th overall recruit, 14th ranked quarterback in 2021, the same class once again as uh, Quinn Ewers and Caleb Williams. He played in seven games overall. Not sure why. He only threw significant passes in four of them, right? Like there were three games where he came in and threw like two or three passes. And when you looked at his last two games last year, right, and this is somebody that I think either was a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, 15 of 27 for 294 yards and two touchdowns and one pick against Georgia, right, who just won their second national championship in a row with two of the best defenses we've ever seen. And then in the bowl game, I don't even think he started the bowl game. I think they just beat Purdue so bad that he came in (laughs) and had this stat line. But 11 of 15 for 173 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick against Purdue. If he would have entered the transfer portal when Jaden Daniels decided to return, he would have been a top five player, I believe, in the transfer portal. Not just top five quarterback. I think he would have been a top five player when you talk about somebody that is a redshirt freshman and shown what he was able to show last year against that Georgia defense and then in the bowl game against Purdue. So I think they're top two in terms of what they have in terms of promise and what we've actually seen on the field from Garrett Nussmeyer and then the overwhelming experience and production from Jaden Daniels makes me okay with them putting LSU over Texas, even though I think Quinn Ewers right now is better than Jaden Daniels and will be better at the end of the season when all is said and done. So Texas is number three. I think they slotted them in perfectly, right? And I think if you had to answer the question of who has the most talented quarterback room, Texas would be number one right now. But when you factor in experience and production, I'm fine with 
USC and LSU being one and two over Texas. And then when you look at North Carolina, their room isn't great, but they have Drake May, Drake May, right, which is the force multiplier. And I think right now, and I think not even right now, but I think this will hold until the end of the season. You're looking at another Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud situation where next year in the NFL draft, the number one overall pick will be Caleb Williams and the number two overall pick will probably be Drake May, right? And I think that's why they have the number four quarterback room in the country. It doesn't matter who your two is and your three is when your number one is a top three pick, probably guaranteed in next year's draft. And then Oklahoma at number five, I really like their quarterback room, right? And I know we're supposed to hate Oklahoma and I know we talk a lot of mess about him. Dylan Gabriel, you know, he's good at times. Other times he leaves a lot to be desired, but that's still a really good starting quarterback to have with all of his experience, especially at the quarterback position at Oklahoma, who's in somewhat of a rebuild. I know they don't want to admit it, but they are in somewhat of a rebuild. That's a really good bridge quarterback to have. And then, of course, you have Jackson Arnold, who was the fourth ranked quarterback in the country in this cycle and is a really good dual threat quarterback. Somebody I think is going to be really good at the university of Oklahoma. And I can't wait to see those matchups between Jackson Arnold and uh, Arch Manning in the future. So I thought that they did a really good job. I didn't look at the rest of the top 10 because there was no reason to Texas was in the top five, but in terms of the top five, I think they got it right. With USC being number one, LSU being number two, Texas being number three. Although I think Texas has the most talent of any quarterback room in the country. When you factor in two of those three quarterbacks don't have any college production. I think three is just fine. North Carolina, number four, solely on the back of Drake May and then Oklahoma at number five with Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold. Not too many rooms in the country that have more talent, even than those two at the quarterback position. A quick word from Bill Barr, and then we are going to talk about the Texas basketball team. Ronnie Terry is hosting two transfers this week at the 40 acres. Can he, can he get a commitment from one or both? Looking for a snack, but don't want all of the sugar and calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever built. You got to try this. If you're like me and you want to make healthier choices, but you don't want to compromise on taste, I've got just the thing for you. Bars and built puffs. Built bars are healthy and taste amazing. Seriously, they taste so amazing. You think that they're good for you. You have to try this. What makes built bars so good? Well, for starters, they are all covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right. Real chocolate. And they come in amazing flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, cookies, and cream. I'm not sure how built does it. But these bars are like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 100 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com. But now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get your specialty flavors at Built.com. So head to the website, head to Walmart, head to Sam's Club, head to wherever you get your Built Bars and make sure you get those today. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. When we're talking about the Texas basketball team, it's been a hell of a roller coaster, right? And I'm not going to go through everything that's happened. But of course, Ronnie Terry gets the full time job. You lose five players, right? Whether that's to Australia, the transfer portal, or the NBA draft. Then you bring in Caden Shedrick, Dylan DeSue, and Max Amos. And it looks like, you know, 
all of the despair and everything that happened the first two weeks is over. And then after you bring in, you know, two players in the transfer portal and Dylan DeSue decides to return, you get probably the biggest news we've gotten all offseason that Ron Holland, who is now the number two player in the country, decommits from Texas. He still has Texas as one of his top schools. But I've been hearing the G League is a very serious option that would result in him playing professional basketball a year before heading to the National Basketball Association. And so we kind of, you know, as Texas basketball fans and people that are assessing the program, don't really know how to assess this offseason just yet, right? Because you've lost your two five stars. You have two players that are in the NBA draft process right now but could return. Dylan Mitchell posted himself yesterday in a picture in a Texas jersey, right? Like a picture from the season. But there was no caption, so we have no idea if he's returning or not or if he's trolling. When he was just liking anti-Rodney Terry tweets on Saturday, like I said, there's some toxic behavior definitely going on, uh, you know, right here, right now. And right now, your current roster is Max A, Miss Caden Shedrick, who we know are good players, but we haven't seen them in a Texas jersey, Dylan DeSue, and Brock Cunningham, right? That's our rotation right now. Good news is on the horizon. There are two prospects visiting the 40 acres this week that are in the transfer portal. The first one is Zarek Onyema, 6'8", 230 from UTEP, a big man. The second one is Kendall Weaver from UTA, a 6'3", 164 combo guard from Mansfield, Texas. So hopefully you're able to bring in both of these players in the transfer portal and uh, you know, kind of reinforce that roster based on where it is right now. So let's start with Zarek Onyema. Like I said, 6'8", 230 from UTEP. He signed to Rodney Terry in 2020. And so hopefully Rodney Terry can get him to sign with him twice, this time at the University of Texas. He averaged seven points and four and a half rebounds last year. I know those numbers don't jump off the screen to you, but if you go look at Christian Bishop's numbers last year, he averaged six points and three rebounds. So Zarek Onyema had better numbers last year than Christian Bishop. And I think he can come in to this Texas basketball team if he chooses Texas. I know he just came off an official visit to Vanderbilt and kind of fill in that Christian Bishop role off the bench, especially when you have Caden Shedrick and Dylan DeSue starting to have a big man, 6'8", 230, like Zarek Onyema coming in to spell them, I think would be really good for this Texas basketball team. When you look at some of his best games last year, he only averaged seven points and four and a half rebounds. But like I said, you know, if you put that in perspective, those were better than Christian Bishop's numbers last year. And Christian Bishop had a really good impact on this Texas basketball team. He had 11 and 11, 11 points, 11 rebounds with two blocks and a steal against FAU, who made it to the final four. He had 19 points and six rebounds against FIU. He scored in double figures in 12 games last year. And what I loved were 10 of those games came in five game stretches. Right. So he scored 12 games. He had 12 games where he had over 10 points. But five games came in a row and then there was another five games that came in a row. So it looked like maybe they made some changes to the lineup or the rotation, or just when he gets hot, he gets really hot, right? I don't know what it is, but he did score in double figures 12 times last year. And I think with Rodney Terry playing kind of more of an up-tempo probably than they did at UTEP and having more talent around him, I think that'll, you know, set up for him to get easier baskets. So I think this is a really good piece that you bring in to fill out the roster, but also somebody that can be your backup big, um, can kind of rotate with Katie Shedrick and Dylan DeSue and playing that Christian Bishop role last year. And somebody that obviously already has a relationship with Ronnie Terry because he was recruited by him once, you know, Vanderbilt 
is, uh, you know, an interesting school, right, in the SEC, and maybe they can offer more playing time. But in terms of the quality of basketball and being in a more defined role, I think the University of Texas can offer that. And let's see if Rodney Terry can work his recruiting magic and pull him in twice, right? And when you talk about Kendall Weaver, I really love this move if they can bring him into the University of Texas because I think he's an underrated player that was at UTA last year. So he's 6'3", 164 from Mansfield, Texas. Definitely somebody that's probably going to be your off guard, right? I don't see him being your primary playmaker, one, because you brought in Max Avis, who's been doing that for the last, last four years at Oral Roberts at a high level. But the second thing is he only averaged two assists last year in 30 minutes a game with one turnover, right? So his assist to turnover ratio is less than two to one, right? He's not great in terms of taking care of the ball and setting up his teammates. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot, but he also doesn't set up his teammates a lot. That's going to be more of Max Amos's job. But I think that fits in perfectly for Kendall Weaver because he can be that off-ball two-guard, kind of like Tyrese Hunter was last year. But I think he's better offensively, at least than what Tyrese Hunter showed last year at the 40 Acres. So he averaged nine and a half points a game, 4.6 rebounds, and two assists with one steal a game. So somebody that's very active in all facets of the game and definitely can fill up the stat sheet and what I really love about Kendall Weaver was he averaged nine and a half points per game last year, but he only took seven shot attempts a game, right? So to put that in perspective, Serge Jabari Rice and Tyrese Hunter, both on the same team, averaged nine shot attempts per game, right? Kendall Weaver, who was a starter last year, only averaged seven and a half shots per game, right? If he gets that up to 10, 11, maybe even 12, you're looking at somebody that should jump up to a 12, 13, maybe even 14 point per game score. And of course, if you had that next to Max Amos and Dylan DeSue, you're really going to be cooking at the 40 acres. Another thing I love from Kendall Weaver is the efficiency, right? 40% three-point shooter on 82 attempts. That's hard to find in college basketball. So somebody that can get his own shot and can make the three, but also if he's open based on the gravity towards Max Amos, Dylan DeSue, Caden Shedrick, or whoever, he's going to hit those open threes that we saw Serge Barry Rice and Tyrese Hunter get plenty of last year if you put Kendall Weaver in that same situation based on what we saw in his true freshman year assuming he'll be better this year he's going to shoot at a 40 percent clip from the three-point line when you look at his two-point splits right when you take away the three-point he was a 47 percent shooter in the mid-range and at the basket so somebody that can be a three-level scorer for Rodney Terry at the basket in the mid-range and then of course shooting 40 percent from three 44, 40, and 70 splits overall, right? So you want him to be better from the free throw line, but 44% from the field and 40% from the three-point line, especially as a true freshman, are great. I don't care what level it was, even if it was at UTA. And when you look at his best games, like I said, somebody who is just an aggressive, smart, has a lot of basketball IQ and makes a lot of plays for this Texas basketball team. He had a game last year where he had 20 points, six rebounds, four assists, two blocks, and four steals. I'm going to repeat that. 20 points, six rebounds, four assists, two blocks, and four steals. He had another game where he had 17 points, seven rebounds, four assists, and two steals. He had another game where he had 17 points, eight rebounds, and five assists. So like I said, somebody who just fills up the stat sheet, right, can do everything, can score, can defend, can rebound, right? I think he averaged more rebounds last year than Dylan DeSue and Kristen Bishop did, right? So that shows how he crashes the glass. Somebody that can set up his teammates, even though he's better as an off-ball guard, and somebody that shoots very efficiently, whether it's from the two-point, the three-point, or from the free-throw line, you would like him to be better, but he was a true freshman. I expect that to improve at the University of Texas. So they're both at the 40 Acres this week on an official visit. I know Kendall Weaver's visit starts today, and I know that uh, 
on Yemma's visit, I think started yesterday, but nonetheless, they're on campus at the same time. So hopefully they can build a relationship. Hopefully Texas can get both of them into the 40 acres. Your roster still will not be complete at that point. But I think at that point you have six definitive players in your rotation next year. And I know Ronnie Terry probably wants to get to eight or nine. So you're a lot closer to filling out your roster than you were, I guess, a week ago. Right. But I still think the priority should be trying to do whatever you can to bring in Ron Holland and make him a part of this group next year. But I do think that on Yemma and Kendall Weaver are two really good players, two underrated players in the transfer portal that will do a really good job at the 40 acres next year. And you know, Ronnie Terry is preaching stay in Texas and come play for your flagship university, right? I don't think anybody loves the state of Texas, or at least that I know loves the state of Texas more than Ronnie Terry does. So it's, you know, very fitting to see him go after a player, one that he recruited at UTEP, but a player at UTEP in the state of Texas and a player at UTA in the state of Texas and saying, basically, I know what his recruiting pitch is stay home and put on, for the flagship university in the state of Texas. Let's hopefully, let's hope they take heed to that and they're in a burnt orange and white jersey next year. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about the Texas baseball team. Did get the series win, but lost the last game in not the best fashion, 15-7 to against TCU. So this was a weird weekend series in that it wasn't a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. It was a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series. And I thought the Monday game was at night. So, you know, part of my surprise when I found out that Monday game was at 1 PM, right? I'm seeing people talk about the first inning. I'm like, Oh, was this yesterday's game? Is it a replay? And no, Tanner Witt was already on the mound. And I think that's the story of this game and why I won't take too much from it because I think the team was in such a different position that you're not used to that I can't, blame them necessarily for losing that game now obviously you don't want to give up 15 runs they ended up using eight pitchers overall gave up 19 hits and six walks right you're not going to be able to beat anybody doing that but I think when you're in a situation where you're using an opener rather than a starter that's not something that this Texas baseball team was used to right and so when Tanner comes in and he was supposed to give you one inning he didn't even give you that I think that kind of just created a domino effect in terms of the rest of the pitching staff and you know, I just don't know how much you can put into that game or take from that game, right? Because how many more times throughout the season are you going to have your starting pitcher go out and give you two outs, right? That's not going to happen. And I think what's more important is what David Pierce was able to take away from Tanner Witt rather than losing that game, especially after you had already won the series. You want to win every game you can, but I think the more important message was what did we see from Tanner Witt rather than, oh, my God, we used eight pitchers and gave up 15 runs. So when you look at Tanner Witt specifically, he gave you two outs, did give up three earned via two hits, one walk and one hit batter. And I think you saw, um, you know, a combination of things. I think you saw, uh, you know, some of the pitches and some of the command that makes Tanner Witt, you know, one of the most intriguing pitchers in the country. Right. But I think you also saw, uh, you know, the effect of being out for so long and, those you know being your first pitches in actual game action in over a year right and we saw that and I think that's the reason why he struggled right but the good thing is you have Tanner Witt getting closer and closer to 100 percent especially in the most important stretch of your season coming down to the end of the regular season and starting postseason play so not sure how David Pierce is going to handle him in his next outing I would assume it would be more than one inning especially if he doesn't give up what three uh, two hits one walk and one hit batter in that first inning and then hopefully you can continue to ramp him up this season to where he'll get to a point this season where he can give you, you know, five plus innings in every outing after that. But, you know, it remains to be seen, but it's a good sight to see Tanner Witt out there competing in in-game action after, you know, his UCL injury last year. It's good to see him back on the mound and 
you know, hopefully he can continue to progress to be an asset for this Texas baseball team in his final season at the 40 acres. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook them. Peace. <laughs>